0: Hello, everyone. In a couple weeks, we'll begin our Dungeons & Dragons pairing with the book Three Hearts and Three Lions by Paul Anderson. But with Avengers Endgame right around the corner, we're going to keep the Marvel train rolling by re-releasing our older episode on Avengers Infinity War. I hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm Kyle Willoughby. Joining me is Claire White. Hi. And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures in Erd Manual. Together again. Together again, Claire. I feel like it's been months. Kind of bad. <laughs> we we've done one together. <laughs> Anyway, we are here to discuss new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories, and today we're talking about a little something called Avengers Infinity War. Mm-hmm. If you've heard of it. If you've heard of it. So Claire, give us a brief explanation of an Avengers Infinity War.
1: So Avengers Infinity War is the 19th movie in the Marvel shared universe, and a lot has happened in the other movies, so I'm not even going to get into the backstories, just the basic plot. Thanos is a very bad alien who looks like a very jacked blue human, and he is trying to find all the Infinity Stones to put in his fancy glove called the Infinity Gauntlet.
0: It's a very nice glove. It's
1: a very nice glove. Gold,
0: very swanky. A little ostentatious, though.
1: Yeah, it's a little, you know, gauche for me. (laughs) But it's up to the Avengers and all of the characters we've been introduced to over the past 10 years to stop him, or Thanos will use the gauntlet to wipe out half of all life in the universe. The film is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo and stars Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Chadwick Boseman, Scarlett Johansson, and so many more. The movie was released on April 27th, 2018, I am doing the history of the Avengers, and I've decided to look at the history of crossovers. And Kyle, you're doing production, so... Yeah,
0: I'm going to talk about the uh, genius mastermind creator of this whole little world that we now live in every time we go to the movies, because you can't... There's no way you cannot see at Stanley? least one comic book movie. <laughs> no, not Stanley, actually. Uh, Kevin, Feige, Kevin Feige, who we, we talk, we've mentioned a lot and we do a little bit about in a lot of these uh, production segments, but we've never really gone in depth I'm, about
1: I'm really excited to hear about this. Yeah.
0: Take it away, Claire.
1: Um, like I mentioned, I'm going to be talking about crossovers. And while I was doing my research, I kept on thinking that I was going to talk about maybe the history of the Avengers. You kind of already did the history of superhero team ups in our Justice League episode, which I think everyone should listen to. Personally. Yeah, was
0: really I mean, don't see Justice League, but listen, listen to, to, our to our episode broadcast. about it.
1: What I kept on com- running into when I was doing my research um, in reviews and think pieces and fan sites is that The Avengers, especially Infinity War, is the ultimate crossover movie. And the more I write into it, the more I realize that this really hasn't been done before. Um, and so I thought I'd look into the history of the crossover. Now, before I do that, I want to give a huge shout out to Jess Nevins. Um, He has an io9 article called A Brief History of the Crossover, which I will link to on our Twitter and Facebook page. When I was looking up research papers, because nowadays, like, grad students can just put their research papers online, they were citing this io9 article as their reference. Like, every research paper goes back to this io9 article. Every research on crossovers? Yes.
0: There's a lot of papers on crossovers There's a handful. Wow.
1: Listen, I was digging deep in the (laughs) internet because I was like, there has to be another source. There's really not.
0: (laughs) And they're all sourced from Jess Nevins. Nevin's,
1: yes. Um, But first, before I get into more of Justin Evans' research, let's define what a crossover is. It is when characters or concepts from two separate tales meet. Now, Justin Evans says that there are eight types of crossovers, and I'm going to go through them all. There is the fusion of myths. I'm going to try and find examples for these as well. So I was thinking monster crossover movies like Dracula versus Frankenstein. Well, what about
0: something like Jason and the Argonauts, where Hercules was one of the Argonauts?
1: Yeah. That's kind of we're a gonna crossover, get into that right? in a second. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, good job, Kyle. Yeah. I'm um on it. another type of crossover is when one author's characters are brought together by another author. I think of a lot of this as fan fiction. Yeah. Also Fifty Shades of Grey could oh, be an example yeah, of this. Yeah, Where true that too. was actually Twilight characters that she, she brought together.
0: Of, what about um, uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore? Yes, that's definitely that when characters written by other people yeah. are brought
1: together by another. Crossovers within one fictional universe. So Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere, where he writes all these different books, but they're all actually in the same universe. Star Wars, also.
0: Yeah, definitely. All takes
1: place in the same universe. Lord of the
0: Rings. Yes. Obviously.
1: Right, with the Cimmerillion. Characters from different creators are brought together by another creator. Alien versus Predator.
0: Alien versus <laughs> Predator. Hey, don't knock those movies. They're. I haven't seen them. Pretty bad. Good. They're good.
1: <laughs> Bangsian <laughs> fantasy, which follows famous literary or historical characters in the afterlife. So m- the first thing I thought of was Dante's Inferno. Oh, wow.
0: Oh, that's I'd never heard of that, but that that is very cool. Dante's Inferno did have some crossover <laughs> yeah. of like famous people from all over the place, just in in hell.
1: Yeah, real people as fictional characters. Uh, Space Jam. Space Jam. Uh, well, more than this, like westerns, especially where real people became myths. So like Billy yeah, the Kid, Billy the
0: Kid became yeah. a myth
1: in his own right. Characters from different creators are brought together to make a team: the Avengers,
0: the Obviously. Justice League.
1: Where a fictional world contains characters from many different authors. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Who framed
0: Roger Rabbit? Or uh, Ready Player One, I guess. Yeah,
1: definitely. Ready Player One is, is an example of that. So those are all the, according to Justin Evans, and there might be more, and of course there's always subgenres within subgenres, but those are.
0: The, like, broad. The
1: eight broad strokes of a crossover. Okay. So I'm going to go through the brief history of crossover. I definitely have left some things out. These are the things that I found most exciting. Yeah. So arguably the first crossover is uh, a myth that you just mentioned. Jason and Men- the Argonauts. Yeah. Yeah. In the myth, Jason sails to Colchis to search for the Golden Fleece and assemble some of the most famous Greek heroes. A Greek superhero team of yeah, their own. Yeah, it was.
0: They're like the Greek Avengers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> One of them being Hercules, son of Zeus, completed the 12 labors and got a Disney movie with he some great He got his very own Disney movie. Hylas, a young man Hercules loved who was so beautiful he was whisked away by nymphs.
0: Classic Hylas.
1: Classic Hylas. Castor and Polydeuces, famous twins who were brothers of Helen of Troy, and they all came together and...
0: To get that fleece. Get the fleece. It'll make their ship fly.
1: In the Middle Ages, let's move forward a little bit. French poet Triton de Troyes combined King Arthur stories with various legends of the Holy Grail, and he was the one who brought the character Lancelot into the King Arthur tale. Now, Lancelot was a character that he'd already written about, Triton de Troyes, brought him into a story where he rescues Guinevere after she'd been abducted. Now, later, Guinevere falls in love with Lancelot, but that was other authors taking liberties with the King Arthur tale, but he first brought Lancelot in.
0: I I was not going to be surprised if it was a French poet who decided to throw in a little love triangle. I I think that
1: was the French just later on. They got worse. Yeah. (laughs) With the circulation of penny novelettes in the 18th century... Fiction was able to be distributed to the masses, and that led to a lot more crossovers, you know, favorite characters meeting other favorite characters. There apparently is an anonymously penned 1760s Blüken, i might be destroying that—where Dr. Faustus meets German trickster figure Till Eulenspiegel. In 1834, the French writer Honoré de Balzac, who I've actually heard of before— was the first to interlink his novels in a coherent, independent fictional universe called Le Comédie Humaine Honoree. Now, when I think of a fictional universe, I think of the Marvel universe, the yeah. DC universe. I think of David Mitchell's universe, which has some magic in it. I think of Sanderson's universe, where yeah. it's very mystical fantastical. Now, this wasn't. This was actually about the variety of life in Paris told from the point of view of different people throughout Paris. Yeah, I've
0: actually heard of this book.
1: I have too. And each of the novels is different and can stand on its own, but characters do reoccur throughout them.
0: Yeah, they brush shoulders with each other.
1: And this became a very popular trope in French literature in the mid-19th century, and a lot of famous writers copied him, including Emile Zola, Jules Verne, who I actually haven't read, but apparently most of his novels are interrelated, Gosh. and Alexander Dumas. That was became yeah. a trope in the yeah. um, mid 19th century.
0: Starting crossovers in books it makes sense though, too. Like Cuz wh- you
1: can plot it out and you don't need to consult with other people or have a big studio finance it.
0: Yeah, and we love Tolkien, but this kind of I feel like this takes a little bit away from what he like the, I always thought he of him as the first one to create a big universe. But uh, they, this was, that was kind of done in Paris, right? With, uh, but La you weren't Comedie, creating Humaine a Honourie. fictional universe. Yeah, that's true. Tolkien was that's creating true. his own world. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not to take away from Balzac. Yeah. Um, In 1849, the first crossover where characters from different creators were brought together when creator Mary Cowden Clark published Kit Bam's Adventures, or The Yarns of an Old Mariner. And in this book, Kit Bam, a retired sailor, tells his family about—a family, not his family—about his adventures, and in his adventures, Bam had encountered people from Greek myths, Arthurian myths, the Arabian Nights. He met Shakespeare. He met Mary Shelley. Okay. It was more of a kid's book. Yeah. But you're bringing together all these people from different worlds. Yeah. And this idea of one character meeting other characters from other universe was used as a trope throughout the 19th and 20th century and still is today. Yeah. I feel like, especially in children's books, we're like, oh, and then he met Shakespeare. Yeah, you know, exactly. And then Miss Frizzle got on her school. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't true. know if Miss Frizzle meets famous literary characters, but I don't know. Either. I wouldn't put it past her.
0: Wishbone did.
1: Oh, yeah. Wishbone was the best. So, who do you think the most popular crossover character, especially in literature, is?
0: I don't know. I was just thinking about H.P. Lovecraft and his kind of his universe, but I know that's not the most popular. And I was also thinking Rudyard Kipling, maybe. Guys, I don't know if his books are all connected. This is a
1: character written by someone else who always gets pulled into other stories because he's so good at working things out. Oh. Yeah.
0: Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, Sherlock yeah. Holmes,
1: which makes sense once you hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, He has become the most popular crossover character, at least in fiction. I mean, not in fiction, in written fiction. But in um, 1893, Sherlock Holmes appeared in The Pursuit of a Houseboat by John Kendrick Bangs. And this was the first time he was used by a writer that wasn't a Conan Doyle.
0: Oh, did he get in trouble for that?
1: No, he didn't. And I think he was just a very small part, though at the time his character had died. In the Doyle in books. In the Doyle books? Okay. In this story, when a house book was hijacked by Captain Kidd, Sherlock is called upon <laughs> to find it. Now, his first real crossover story was in Arsene Lupa, uh, which is a story, a bunch of stories about a thief who's kind of like a Robin Hood, good hearted thief type character, a French character, written by Maurice LeBlanc. And it's called Sherlock Holmes Arise, Arrive, Top Tard where Sherlock meets his match in Arsene Lupa. But they had to change the name to Herlock Sholmes arrives trop-tard after Doyle's lawyers got involved.
0: Really? Yeah. And that was enough to dodge copyright or something? Was Apparently. <laughs> All right. He's not Sherlock Holmes. He's actually Herlock Sholmes. You can, you Very can, similar but different. You
1: can still <laughs> buy the <this> story. <laughs> it still exists.
0: Wow. That's crazy.
1: In the late 19th and early 20th century, it was very popular to put real celebrities in fictional stories. What happened with the growth of newspapers, individuals became widely known instead of kind of mythical, faraway figures. And they became supporting characters in serialized fiction. As you can imagine, Teddy Roosevelt was an incredibly popular character to bring in. definitely. Larger than life boisterous type of gentleman uh, that he was. Yeah,
0: always going out on adventures Mm -hmm. and things.
1: Now, I'm going to move to American Pulp's crossovers, and they took place all the time. One particularly notable instance is in the Wild West Weekly, where the editors, Ronald Oliphant and John Burr, encouraged their writers to have their series characters meet each other. So the heroes would come into the other person's comic or pulp, help each other out. And then leave. Now they all had their own universes, and there was no reference made about the other heroes except when, like, they came into yeah. Help.
0: When they showed up, yeah. But
1: because they crossed over so much, they did end up creating a shared universe. And now I'm going to move into 1940s All-Star Comics number 3 by Sheldon Mayer and Gardner Fox with artist Ebron Hilbert and Sheldon Moldoff. And they brought together characters from several DC comics and formed a team called the Justice Society of America. You get more into this in our Justice League episode, so I'm not going to really talk about it. Yeah. But it was an All-Star Comics till 1951, and that was the first team comic superhero crossover. Yeah. But it is important to note that at the time, comics were widely read, selling over a million per issue sometimes. And it was distributed to the armed services. So a lot of people read these crossover issues and it just kind of became normalized in comics.
0: Yeah, that this is this is all a separate world in this comic. And that adventure. these
1: characters form a team and yeah. help each other out.
0: Yeah.
1: Now I'm gonna move into film since the Avengers yeah. Infinity War is a movie. And that's
0: what I'm wondering. How I mean, this seems like this was really big through literature and through comics for a long which time. Which is easier because is you, easier, you're just yeah, writing it. But...
1: Well, the first movie crossover that I found was Universal's 1943's Frankenstein Meets Wolfman. And then Dracula was later added to that mix as
0: well. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then a very famous one that I actually would like to see is Abbott and Costello. Abbott and
0: Costello meet Frankenstein, Frankenstein which
1: is still supposed to be great. It's
0: hilarious. Have I used you to, seen yeah, it? I've seen it. I used to see. I used, I've seen it as a kid. Like I watched that movie a lot with my dad.
1: So a really big moment in crossovers for film, especially when put in context of the Avengers, because it reinvigorated a franchise, was 1960s. Toho Studios' release of King Kong versus Godzilla.
0: Also a classic. Also a (laughs) classic movie. I
1: believe it is. Now, there hadn't been a King Kong movie since Song of Kong in 1933, which didn't do very well. And the original Kong animator, Willis O'Brien, wanted to reinvigorate uh, the Kong franchise. And he thought the best way to do it was to pit him against another iconic monster, which was very smart. And his first thought was Frankenstein— But Universal wasn't interested in the idea, and they owned the rights to Frankenstein. So he sold the concept to Toho, and they wanted to revive their own monster, Godzilla. Godzilla Raids Again, which had come out in 1956, hadn't done very well, and it was a massive hit. And studios got the memo that crossovers could be very successful, but they basically equated crossovers to monster movies— and i was looking through crossover movies
0: it's all old monster movies
1: it's all old monster movies alien versus predator freddy versus jason it's also always a good movie <laughs> Kyle loves crossovers that's what learned. i that's what i
0: that's what i i guess that's what it is um, there are
1: there are some notable exceptions uh most notably who framed roger rabbit which mixes disney and warner brothers characters and also in tv there's crossovers but i think that is even easier like ER doctors will do an episode on Friends. Yeah. Or The Simpsons will just draw people in all the time. But as far as movies go, there were very few non-horror crossovers until The Avengers, which was the first to create a shared universe with the express purpose of making crossover movies. And they proved that if you do it well, the hype will grow, fans will see it, and you will make more and more money. And... DC proved this further, that even if you make bad
0: movies, Movies, people will see
1: see it it and and you will make money. Yeah, and
0: you'll still make money. (laughs) It's true.
1: I want to conclude with, while I was going through all of this, and especially the amount of crossovers in literature throughout time, thinking about why is a crossover so popular? Like, What do we like about it? And what I came to is that I think a crossover is ultimately fan fiction and really fast. Fan fiction is when someone takes either a story or a character or both of a certain piece of work, whether it be novel, TV, show, movie, et cetera, and creates their own story based on it. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, Marvel is actually writing fan fiction for Marvel fans because they're taking all these characters that you love – actually bringing them together for you so you don't have to write it yourself you don't have to imagine it you can see it yeah and that is what ultimately makes a crossover so popular even jason um and the golden fleece yeah. you're bringing all these amazing Urges badass heroes yeah. together and what would happen yeah. if they all came together
0: yeah I, that's that's true that's so cool claire and i, I don't know i agree i agree
1: so, and I think that's why Avengers Partly is so popular I mean they're well done but also like this is for you and yeah. we know that you will love this. all your
0: favorite characters are coming together and they're gonna punch someone in the face and you're like yeah!
1: yeah
0: it also helps make you the world seem more believable it gives the world depth and the more depth this, this fake world has the more real it can start to well, see in it's, your own head if it's done well if it's done well if it's done well this is true this is true
1: well I wanna hear about the man who made it happen Kyle yeah
0: and you know what i think these these two your segment and my segment are segment are going to tie together uh, pretty well actually uh so i'm going to talk we're about
1: so good <laughs> we're
0: so good not planned guys none of this is ever planned we never <laughs> we never coordinate anything uh so i want to talk a bit about the mastermind we've we talk a lot about or we have talked his about his segment a lot of is movies. titled the mastermind. My first part of my and it's it's about me <laughs> No, it's uh, just. You're kidding. Kevin Feige. I'm Kevin Feige. No, I'm not. And I'm not a mastermind yet. Um, yet. But we've talked about a lot of Marvel movies and properties on our show. And anytime we talk about the production on, on another superhero film, we normally talk about the director and his or her influences and ideas, or the behind the scenes drama with visionary directors versus money grubbing studios a lot of time. I feel like that's a theme. Um, but I'm pretty sure that in every Marvel film production segment, we've at least mentioned the name Kevin Feige. Uh, and I thought, you know, that since Avengers Infinity War is this massive culmination of all these movies, it's the perfect ground to talk about uh, the visionary artist who kind of brought this all together. And that's Kevin Feige. You know, if you want more info on the directors, Anthony and Joe Russo, we we talk about them in our Civil War episode.
1: Yeah, I think the first episode we ever that's recorded. That's our very first episode we ever yeah. recorded, Yeah.
0: So who is Kevin Feige? Feige is the head of Marvel Studios. And in a lot of ways is the real visionary creator of this film and what all these Marvel films have done together in building this huge, crazy, shared fanfic universe (laughs) almost. Um, And he doesn't give that many interviews and he doesn't talk about himself too much. So I did some digging to track where Feige came from um, and to talk a little bit about his path to the head of the most powerful movie studio in existence right now. Because it is. Marvel Studios is the most powerful movie studio out there. And I have a little quote here from Scarlett Johansson, and, and she says, At the heart of Kevin is a real ellipses fanboy. <laughs> um, and this is from a Vanity Fair cover story by Joanna Robinson, published November 27, 2017. Um, so Kevin Feige was born in New Jersey and in the early 70s had a love for TV and films, especially blockbusters. Um, And according to Feige, when thinking about his childhood, he thought, you know, comics were cool, but movies were coolest. They were everything. Um, And he cites the usual suspects for movies that he loves. And there's a theme here, too, with these movies. The original Star Wars trilogy. The original Indiana Jones trilogy. The Back to the Future trilogy.
1: Classic.
0: The Superman Mm -hmm. movies. And a deep love of Star Trek. And actually, his future boss at Marvel Studios would often affectionately refer to him as the Trekkie. Um, And when you think about those movies, they exist in these big shared universes. What is one thing that happens at the beginning of every Indiana Jones movie?
1: He goes on an adventure.
0: Every Indiana Jones movie starts with him completing an adventure that we don't see. That's right. And then the movie takes place and, you know, you follow this new adventure, which the the movie focuses on. So it it gives this implication of this larger world out there. Um, And you can say the same for Star Wars with this long rolling script at the beginning. Like, for years, the Empire and the Rebels have fought against each other. Best part of Star Wars. And even Back to the Future. At the end of the first Back to the Future movie, when everything is solved and, and the day is saved, Doc Brown comes speeding out of a DeLorean and and is like Marty we've got to go back and and Marty's like what what do you, what do you mean doc we got to go back he's like it's, it's not done it's about your it's about your children marty your children in the future and then that's where the first movie ends yeah. and then the second movie ends with the same the same thing with doc brown leaving marty a note saying like i need you to come get me like it's all those things have these this bigger kind of universe right. and world to yeah. them yeah and then and then star trek obviously humongous world mm-hmm. Um so I just thought that was that, that was cool and I think that sh- that helped shape Feige into trying to do this with his movies. So his goal was to go to the University of California Film School because that was where George Lucas went and Steven Spielberg went and he wanted to make films. And he apparently applied to film school there 6 times before finally getting accepted into the program. And it was at USC that he landed an internship that would set him on the tracks to where we are now, which is a world swimming in his successful superhero movies. Feige scored an internship with Richard Donner, Mm -hmm. who was the director of the Superman movies, the first two uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies. But it was Donner's producer partner, who was also his wife, that would really start Feige down his fated path. Lauren Schuller Donner was her name, and when Feige was given an opportunity to work for the couple after his internship had ended, he interestingly chose Schuller Donner over her husband, whose movies he loved, um, and he says because apparently Lauren Schuller Donner always seemed much more busier than her husband was. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I want to work with her and, and see what she does because she's always got her hands in, in a lot of things. And Lauren Schuller Donner became Feige's kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi to his Luke Skywalker. She kind of became the 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 teacher.
1: I like the theme. You keep reoccurring. With. Yes,
0: yes. The Star Wars theme. This was also and this makes me kind of sad. This was the last job that Kevin Feige ever had to apply for. was was to work for Lauren Shuler Donner in like 1986 yeah but that
1: that just kind of sounds like any kind of industry
0: yeah once you get in
1: once you get in you just someone's like oh my buddy yeah yeah
0: Yeah, yeah. we put Kevin in there yeah yeah (laughs) So Schuler Donner would take Feige around while she produced tons of movies um, in the 80s and 90s. And that helped Feige get his first experience with, with producing movies and also get his first producing credits on movies. Uh, he has a producer credit on You've Got Mail, which I think is one of the first things he did mm-hmm. with Lauren Schuller Donner uh, when he started working for her. Um, and maybe more pertinent to this topic, he has a producer credit on X-Men, the very first X-Men film. So Shuler Donner was So he's
1: a, been there since the beginning.
0: He's been there since the beginning, yeah. And Schuler donner was one of the big driving forces behind X-Men being made, and Feige was there to watch the whole process. So Feige apparently hung out in the stylist tent on the X-Men set one night of shooting, insisting that the stylist make Hugh Jackman's Wolverine hair bigger and pointier and bigger and pointier. And when the stylist would get concerned, like, hey, this, I mean, this is going to look kind of dumb... He would point out that, like, I mean, it might look dumb, but this is Wolverine. (laughs) He's got to have big pointy hair. (laughs) And it was on the set of X-Men that Feige met Avi Arad, who was at that time, this is 1999, uh, was the head of Marvel Studios. And Arad liked Kevin Feige so much, he hired Feige right there to help him manage the flock of Marvel character rights and to come into the newly kind of forming Marvel Mm -hmm. movie-making wing. And this was in the early 2000s Marvel didn't have the cinematic rights to most of their characters having sold them off in the 90s to help stave off bankruptcy which hit them anyway in 1998 and you know, it 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 only kind of for it stalled it but it we've didn't talked stop about it. This before, yeah, we have talked about it before. And Rod hired Feige in the early 2000s to go around to the sets of of Marvel films. I don't think this was his only job but this is one of his jobs. But to go around to the sets of these early 2000s superhero movies films that were in development and to try to help push those films to be more true to the Marvel characters. So even though Marvel didn't technically have the rights to these, these characters, they still got to send a representative to the film set to like maybe like, oh, hey.
1: Maybe be listened to.
0: Yeah, to maybe be listened to. And Feige apparently watched an amazement on the set of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films as he saw what could happen when a character was in the hands of someone who really loved it and money and leeway were given to that, that director and he also apparently watched in horror on the sets of a lot of other early 2000 superhero <laughs> films. Fantastic
1: Four. The Fantastic
0: Four, maybe. Daredevil, uh, maybe yeah. one of them. <laughs> Where these characters were not given respect. Directors maybe didn't care about the character or they weren't given leeway to really care about the character. And all of this experience would really help shape him for what was to come. Now, in 2006, the rights to some fairly popular Marvel characters reverted back to Marvel Studios. Those characters were Thor, Nick Fury, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Captain America, Ant-Man, Black Panther, and Iron Man.
1: So the Avengers.
0: So the Avengers. A lot of the people who you, you will all, we'll, we'll see in the first phase, quote-unquote, of the, of the Marvel movie, you know, Flood. So Marvel decided in 2006 now was time to try and produce and make their own movies. So before they had sold their characters to studios and and those studios were making the movies and maybe they had a little bit of input, but really they didn't. Now they wanted to be the ones to make the movie and produce it themselves and make all the decisions. Uh, But because they were recently bankrupt, they had a really hard time getting funding to get this done. Eventually they were able to secure a loan with Merrill Lynch, but only through offering up as collateral the rights to all those characters that they just got back. Oh, wow. Which means if they're if the first movie flopped, then they would they would lose other character rights and they'd probably go right back into bankruptcy. Oh my
1: god, no stakes whatsoever.
0: And Avia Rod, the guy who hired Kevin Feige and who was head of of Marvel Studios, was like, Well, guys, we can't do this. We just got out of bankruptcy. But he was overruled, and he quit because of that, and they put his second-in-command in charge, who at that time was Kevin Feige. So he was put in as the head of Marvel Studios, and I want to make the a, a little definition here. Marvel Studios is different than Marvel the Company. Marvel Studios were the people making the movies. Marvel mm. the Company is above Marvel Studios. So Marvel Studios is a branch of, of Marvel. Marvel, okay. Yeah. So Feige came in as, as head and and he decided, look, the first movie we're going to do is going to be Iron Man. And that was 2008's Iron Man, uh, which we all know enjoyed a lot of major financial and critical success. And it was after most of the filming for Iron Man had been completed that Feige thought about throwing out a little scene in line for fans just to see what kind of response there would be. Just to see if like people could be excited for this. Feige had long wanted to try and bring a version of the Marvel Comics universe to screen where, you know, in his eyes, superheroes never existed in a, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know, Spider-Man is never the only superhero right. in the world. But in the movies, if you he read, was.
1: If you read the comics, he's always interacting with yeah, the other characters. Exactly. Because that's how you sell more comics. Exactly. cross them over. Like.
0: And he's swinging through the streets as the Hulk punches through a car, like, below yeah. him or something. You know, they were never... super. These superheroes were never in a vacuum. So with that thought... Feige hired Samuel L. Jackson to shoot a little post-credit Easter egg scene just to see if people would, re- you know, what reception there'd be for it. Um, and that, as we know, was the very first Marvel Easter egg scene, which fans went bananas <laughs> over. I remember, be- I remember sitting in a theater when I first saw Iron Man, and-, and that scene ended, and this guy just stood up and yelled, Yes! and punched his fist into the air. What
1: was the scene again?
0: It was Sam, it was Iron Man. It was post credits as Iron Man coming back to his home and coming inside. And you see a, a man with an eye patch sitting on his couch saying, like, Mr. Stark, hello. And, and it's Samuel Jackson. And, and he's like, Who are you? And he's like, My name's Nick Fury. And I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Except he said it like Samuel Jackson said it. So it sounded cool. <laughs> and, uh, and he said something about how you think you're the only one with superpowers out here or out in the world right, right. now. Right. Oh you know, my giving gosh. that implication of the bigger world.
1: I got chills just hearing that, but I imagine if you've just seen your character done as well as they did that first Iron Man. Yeah, with Iron Man. And then Nick Fury shows up, and you're like, oh my God. Yeah,
0: and he's talking about the Avengers initiative and that there's more people out there. And yeah, I I will always remember that moment in the theater. It's like (laughs) one of those pivotal moments for me as a kid watching Iron Man. And because there was such an insane response to that, Feige's like, okay, I think I could do an Avengers movie. I think we could get this. So obviously we all know a bunch more, a Thor movie came out, a Captain America movie came out, a Hulk movie came out, and it led up to the first Avengers film, which was in 2012. And it was after the Avengers premiere in 2012 that Feige met with what was called, referred to in this article, this uh, Vanity Fair article, the Avengers Extended Family. I'm not sure exactly who that is Feige met with them and said that he wants to take it to the next level with the Marvel movies, that he wants to truly bring the Marvel universe to film. And Feige is the one who's responsible for plotting and arranging and keeping the MCU consistent. And I had always thought Joss Whedon was the one who kind of wrote wrote the story.
1: Joss Whedon got a lot of credit when the Avengers came out.
0: Yeah, he did because he directed that movie and and he wrote it. But it was all based on Feige's blueprint of where the story of the MCU needed to go. Yeah, that was actually that was that's the thing with Marvel
1: and why they clash with directors because they always have this character needs to be here by the end of the movie. This needs
0: to be the story that we make and you can make it any way you want. But these things have to happen. And that is Feige. And that's why I'm sure I've heard it's hard to work for him. But it's because he has this grand vision, overarching plan. And And, we see it now. It's working. Yeah, exactly. So as Marvel moved through Phase 1, culminating with a very well-received and over-a-billion-dollar-grossing Avengers film, um, and into Phase 2, which was the movies that all came after Avengers, there started to be some drama rocking the boat at Marvel Studios. So Marvel had been acquired by Disney in 2009. Disney largely left the studio to its own devices. It was Ike Perlmutter who was starting to clash with Kevin Feige. So who is Ike Perlmutter? Ike Perlmutter was the longtime CEO of Marvel, the company Marvel, of which Marvel Studios was a branch. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Perlmutter had been a CEO of Marvel since 1998 when he agreed to merge Marvel with his toy company to help Marvel get out of bankruptcy. Perlmutter was apparently behind the decision to scale back production of Black Widow-themed merchandise in 2015 because he believed girl superhero products wouldn't sell. So Mm. he—yeah, he's kind of the villain in this story. (laughs) Him and his creative committee, this quote-unquote creative committee, who were filled with mostly old dudes, clung to these really outdated opinions about casting and budgeting and were often fighting with Feige over how he made his movies how he cast his movies, and how much they cost. According to James Gunn, who is the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy films, Perlmutter and his committee tried to get Feige and later Gunn himself to drop the 70s retro soundtrack, thinking that it wouldn't play well with modern audiences. Wow. Which, that soundtrack went double platinum. Yes. (laughs) So, from what I read, Perlmutter does seem like the classic, like, evil studio just after (laughs) cash kind of guy.
1: Yeah, who isn't in touch with the world? Yeah, today? with the world and, and yeah. what Feige, girl Feige's back,
0: ultimate vision.
1: Girl superhero figures don't sell well.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, just wait. Fight
1: me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Things got really serious in 2015 over Civil War, the film Civil War which is kind of, uh, it's funny that Civil War is also what caused Marvel and Marvel to fight with each other. But uh, the Russo brothers, who were the writers and directors of Civil War, kept adding and writing and making the movie bigger with the addition of more Avengers characters. The budget started to climb. And when Perlmutter learned of this, he was pissed. And he ordered that Iron Man and Black Panther and a bunch of these characters get written out of the script. Feige trusted the Russos and loved what they were doing with the movie And uh, Feige also thought that the splitting of the Avengers, which happened in in the Civil War movie, was essential for the MCU and where Feige wanted it to grow towards. Um, So Feige fought back against Perlmutter, and things got so heated that Feige threatened to quit over the disagreement, stating that he had made Marvel billions of dollars over the last eight years with his movies, and that to leave him alone and let him make them and give him the money to do this. And eventually, Feige went to the Disney CEO who owned Marvel, Bob Iger, um, and was like, "Look, you got to help me out. You know what I'm doing here, and I've made you guys a lot of money. Would you God. sign with me?" And Bob Iger was like, "Yes." So Iger decided. He's
1: like, "How many billions have you made? Me? Have you
0: made me <laughs> exactly? <laughs>
1: okay, sure. How
0: many more billions are are in the, in the works At in the stake future? If you leave. <laughs> yeah. Gosh." So Bob Iger decided to split Marvel Studios from Marvel. So Marvel Studios is a separate company than Marvel now. Yeah. So that Feige was no longer under Perlmutter's chain of command. Feige would now report directly to Disney chairman Alan Horn with Mm -hmm. any problems. And it was after this split that real production on Black Panther and Miss Marvel really commenced. So, Black Panther and Captain Marvel were announced by Feige back in 2014, and it was implied that the reason those films took so long to really get out of of pre-production and into production was because Perlmutter didn't think that superheroes starring women or people of color would make any money.
1: Wow. I wonder what he thinks now.
0: I wonder, after Black Panther, what it is still doing. And Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman. Yeah. He's... uh, He seems He's a villain. (laughs) So with the release of the third Avengers movie, Marvel has done an incredible feat. They've brought to life an entire universe of characters that feel real and exist in a world that, at times, doesn't feel too much different from our own. And the Marvel machine is a massive ship, and it seems like the only person in the world who could really steer it is steering it. Or in the words of Joe Russo, one of the directors of the most recent Avengers and uh, two Captain America movies, When asked about why so many other studios have failed at launching cinematic universes, he says, it's simple. They don't have a Kevin. Disney CEO Bob Iger and Kevin uh, Feige have announced that there are 20 more movies in the works for (laughs) Marvel Studios, and there isn't a definitive end in sight. Feige said in an interview for Rotten Tomatoes that Avengers 4 is kind of the end of the first book of Marvel cinema. This is the conclusion of the first book. So the Avengers has been hugely successful at the box office. It, it broke the record for the largest domestic opening weekend with two hundred fifty-eight point two million dollars. Worldwide, it's grossed six hundred forty point nine million. And in my notes, I say it's projected to go over a billion. But I checked, the, I checked this morning, and it has gone over a billion dollars. Uh, I saw a headline that said
1: hasn't even opened in China. Made a billion dollars. Yeah. It it's
0: it has it's now the has the record for the fastest movie to gross a billion dollars. It did it in eleven days. It has an eighty four percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a ninety two percent audience score. So pretty high. What do we think, Claire?
1: Okay, I was so impressed. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I don't. It's not my favorite MCU movie, but I walked out. Or not my favorite superhero movie either. Yeah. But it's this thing where I went in to see it and I thought that they would do a good job because i have seen Civil War and I trusted them. Yeah. Even though I didn't like Age of Ultron and I was impressed with Civil War that they were able to pull out of Age of Ultron. But just watching it and that they were able to bring together all of these different stories that are not connected until now. Yeah. And I, Kevin Feige obviously has a huge part in this. But also, huge shout out to the Russo brothers. The Russo brothers. brothers. Who just... Directed the hell out of this thing. Yeah.
0: Well, that's another thing that Feige was getting credit for, and the articles I was looking up is the discoveries he's made as far as actors, but specifically directos and directors, and specifically the Russo brothers. Mm-hmm. They, they, he, he was like, "What are some great TV shows that we love? I love Community. Who's directing these Community Arrested, episodes? And Arrested, and, and Arrested Development? It's these Russo brothers. Let's give them a movie and see what happens. And
1: they're, they're killing it. Well, I mean, also James Gunn. He James directed Gun. horror movies yeah. before yeah. *Guardians of the Galaxy*, and Taika Waititi. Taika
0: Waititi, yeah, he's just he's got an eye, for, a good eye for talent. Yeah, huge props to the Russo brothers on this. I'm really curious and what you, they're you, gonna do after.
1: You liked it too?
0: Oh, I thought it was great, man. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you could hear like the respect <laughs> I have for Kevin Feige when I was doing my segment. But as I researched more, I was like, wow, you're a, you're a hero. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a nerd hero. You're a
0: nerd hero, dude. You like you've you've done yeah. something incredible. You're steering this massive ship. This has to be very hard, but but you you've done it well. All these movies are at minimum okay, <laughs> at great, amazing.
1: At great, great.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's this thing of that he actually loves these superheroes. Yeah. And I really do believe that you can tell when people don't respect or don't love the franchises they're working on. When they just, when studios would hire just up-and-coming cool directors to direct superhero movies and they thought that that was below them or they didn't really care about the yeah. superheroes. Because for all, you, like, we talked about this before, I think we have, but Chris Nolan wasn't into Batman. He wasn't. But he researched Batman and he took it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, who directed Daredevil? I can't even remember. Oh,
0: I don't know. The first Daredevil movie? Right,
1: but they didn't care. No. They weren't that into it.
0: Yeah, it didn't seem like it to me anyway. Or maybe they tried to be into it, but this, the studio was but, like, it has to be a certain way.
1: Right. I feel like you can tell when there's a lot of love put into these characters, which I think is so important for nerd yeah. franchises because the fans love these characters. Yeah. Uh, well, and to like demean them yeah. is demeaning the fans.
0: Brian Sanger, who did the first two X-Men movies, was famously not... A, a, a comics book or comic book or X-Men fan right
1: but he is now he, he is now
0: but those movies are good but Sam Raimi who, did, who is a who did Spider-Man who's a huge comic fan and a huge Spider-Man fan you, there's you can tell you mm-hmm. can see more love in those Spider-Man movies than you can in the X-Men films
1: I think we talked about this in our Spider-Man episode, but I love how they do Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. And you can just tell that these are people who love this comic, who yeah. love this character. Oh,
0: definitely. And I, so with Avengers, this new Avengers film, Claire, can someone watch it if they haven't seen the other movies? Mm, I do I, think
1: I, it's hard. I
0: think it's hard, too. I think that's just one of its flaw, bigger flaws.
1: But I don't think that matters.
0: It clearly doesn't. It's 11 days to a billion dollars. No,
1: I would definitely say if you (laughs) haven't seen previous Marvel movies, this would be hard to watch. However, they have given you so many entryways into the Marvel Universe. You could discover it because you went to see Black Panther. You could discover it because you went to see Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: This is true. You know,
1: you could discover it because you went to go see Thor, which works very well as a standalone. Yeah. I have to say I wish that there was a female led movie and I feel like there is still a problem with females in this universe. Yeah. There are not many of them. Yeah. Apparently it's coming with Captain Marvel. Apparently it's not all Kevin Feige's fault.
0: <laughs> Apparently I mean that's I mean this maybe was a puff piece that was just like all about how great Kevin Feige mm-hmm. is, but I could I don't know. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but you're right. It is it is still a problem. That being said, I am so excited for Captain Marvel. I am too. <laughs> like oh, I really am t- excited. And
1: I, I mean, I, lo- I loved Wonder Woman. I've talked about that a lot. But I feel like when you have Marvel behind you, what you could do. Yeah.
0: What this? What they're gonna do? I have high. I have really high expectations for Captain Marvel.
1: And I now that DC has gone back to not doing this shared universe because it certainly didn't work for them because they didn't have a Kevin. They don't apparently. have a Kevin. And I really appreciate that Patty Jenkins was just allowed to make her own movie. Definitely. I do feel like there is something very cool about being able to create a movie within the universe. Yeah. And I believe very strongly in creativity within limitations and that the best works are sometimes produced with that. With that. Yeah. Like Jaws, like they, the shark wasn't working.
0: Yeah. So they had to figure out, oh, we were not going to be able to see it then. We can't show it because it's not working.
1: Yeah. And so Jaws became Jaws because the shark wasn't yeah, working. Yeah. And that's just one example. But I feel like Marvel's limitations can also lead to these great movies. No,
0: oh, definitely. Definitely. I totally agree.
1: And they just they have the vision and they have the love behind it yeah. that I feel like a yeah. lot of DC movies are missing. Yeah, I do, missing. I do think Zack Snyder likes those characters and I believe that he's a fan. Just don't think he has the vision behind him. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I definitely. He doesn't have someone
1: like pulling him back, being like, "No, no,
0: yeah, don't no, do all this. Don't yeah.
1: kill <laughs> Superman." <laughs>
0: <laughs> Claire, I wanted to ask you now that you know the nineteenth Marvel movie has been out, and I think you've you've seen almost all of them, if not all of them. I
1: think the only one I haven't seen is the first Captain America. Oh, and Ant Man. And
0: Ant Man. So, do you have a favorite of these nineteen films?
1: Huh. Uh. I really, seeing the first Avengers was really special. I was genuinely shocked that it was that good. Yeah. And being in that theater, I went opening weekend. I could only sit in the very front row because that was all that was open. Yeah. But to be there in that audience and that company, and Civil War is the same thing. And I think being there opening weekend and getting to be in that atmosphere was a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, Um, And by the time I saw this, I expected it to be good, or I expected a certain
0: level. I was nervous for this one.
1: I was nervous, but not as nervous as I was for Civil War or The Avengers.
0: Yeah, because Civil War came right after Age of Ultron, which is not a good movie.
1: What's your favorite, Kyle?
0: Uh, I go back and forth. I I have a lot that I would say, like, oh, this one I think is better subjectively or whatever, or objectively Mm -hmm. in my head. But the ones that I want to watch the most when I think about watching a movie is either... Captain America Winter Soldier. That is great. Or Thor Ragnarok.
1: I love Thor Ragnarok. They're
0: just, they're the, they're, when I think about, if I want to sit down and watch a movie, a Marvel movie, those are kind of the two that pop immediately to my head to watch.
1: Now, I need to ask also, since Disney now owns 20th Century Fox movie and TV productions, which means they now own the X-Men and Deadpool. Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four. I know you have... Mixed feelings about Disney being able to buy Fox, but are you excited about what Marvel can do with these characters?
0: I am. I'm also still a little worried because I'm always wondering what's the one that's going to break them. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm excited to see some, actually, like some some really solid Marvel X Men films. Yeah, I'm go. excited
1: to see the Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah, that's well. The, they were they were really trying to get the Fantastic Four back. They did. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> they did. I think for the villains, I think they want Silver Surfer and they want Galactus. Ooh. So.
1: It's this thing where do I think Disney should be able to buy Fox? No.
0: Yeah, but that's uh, getting a little Monopoly is. Yeah,
1: but am I excited for Marvel to have its characters back? Characters yeah. that they love.
0: Characters that they love. Yeah, that's true. Their most true.
1: famous characters.
0: Oh, it makes. I'm so conflicted about it. <laughs>
1: as are all good nerds. Guys. Yeah. All good nerds.
0: But it might be, I don't know. I think they'll make better X-Men movies than Fox did.
1: Yes, and better Fantastic Four movies.
0: That's a low bar, definitely. <laughs> they'll make better The Fantastic only,
1: Four movies. I, in all honesty, the only X-Men movie that I truly love is X2. Yeah,
0: same, And I same. feel like
1: that's always hard to beat, but yeah. it might also be of that era. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what they do, and I hope they, they get Ian McKellen back to play Magneto, <laughs> because he's one of my favorite... X-Men characters portrayed by an actor ever.
0: Next Disney Marvel movie will be Ian McKellen as Magneto fighting Josh Brolin as Thanos. <laughs> oh,
1: yes. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so we recommend this movie.
0: We do. If you're a Marvel fan, you've probably already seen it. But if for whatever reason you you haven't seen it if yet, you're, you've if been you're on, on the fence. fence about the great reviews and the amount of money that it's making, just b- G- bite your give tongue and go your see money. it. Go Swipe
1: pee, your movie pass.
0: Go pee right before... The movie starts after the after the uh after the whatchamacallit so the previews and yeah. before the movie.
1: When they're running their Coca-Cola ad.
0: Yeah, because the movie itself is 2 hours and 40 minutes long. Right. So, and with previews that's probably 3 hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's worth it. And if you ha- if you aren't into superhero movies and you haven't seen any other Marvel movies, start somewhere else and warm your way into it. Yeah.
0: Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Kyle Willoughby.
1: And I'm Claire White.
0: And we are Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures in Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com, and we would love it if you could give us a rate or review on iTunes. You can find the show on Twitter at DSRA Podcast. I can be found on Twitter at Klex303, that's K-L-E-X-303.
1: I can be found at along with Claire. that's C-L-A-I-R-E.
0: And you can find our producer, James, at James Foey Jr. That's James Foey, F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. You can learn more about Avengers Infinity War and Kevin Feige and, and crossovers mm-hmm. on our Facebook page, where we'll be posting some of our show notes. Our producer, who is also a giant purple, potentially very very evil man, is James Foley. I think he I think he is weirdly into the Cole the herd" mentality that oh, Thanos totally. has. Yeah. Our logo was done by Patty Hyland, who might come back to watching Marvel movies with Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I know she took a break for a while, but maybe Captain Marvel will bring her back. And our theme was composed by Pete Rowan, who's just a sucker for men in tights. That's but who isn't, honestly? Once again, this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures in Erdmanual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week, actually, when we air a special bonus episode. We actually have a, a nice a nice episode where we interview the cast and, and creators of Marsfall, which is a sci-fi drama podcast. So look out for that. Claire and I felt so bad that her and I haven't gotten to do an episode together in so long. We thought we'd give the listeners an extra episode of us, plus Marsfall. <laughs> And there's some wonderful people, so give it a listen.